The greatest thing you'll ever learn is just to love and be loved in return. Eden Abez. Bending, not breaking. Season 7, episode 11. Kuvira's Gambit. Welcome back to another episode of Bending Not Breaking. I'm Sunshine. I'm Ben. And we are talking about Kuvira's uh, Gambit. A gambit. There's a ploy. Tough word. There's a, there's, a, there's a puzzle. There's a query. Is that there's what that is? to be solved. Isn't a gambit like a game or a trap? It's like a gamble like, almost. Like yeah. A, it's like a, a bet. Um, yeah. Right? I might I be think wrong. so. Yeah. That's not the word I defined because gambit's not our lens. So That's not our lens. What is our lens? Our lens is love, Ben. It's love. I love love. And we see love in this episode. And Dude. we see a lack of love. <laughs> we see all kinds a very of very specific moment. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm every rose has its thorn, Ben. Every rose has its thorn. Yeah, I'm really interested to see where our conversation goes in terms of like, so, there are some things that I think we can label love that will make us very uncomfortable. Um, but it doesn't mean it's not love. It just means it looks very different than what we're used to. Um, yeah, yeah, that's going to that's gonna be odd. I can't, this I can't is going to be probably one of our vaguest lenses or it has the, the capacity to really be str- like spread out to meet multiple definitions because yeah. love is vague and can be spread out into multiple definitions. And yeah. what one person defines as love, like uh, I already think of like the concept of tough love, right? Someone's like, yeah. tough, it's tough love. And you're like, or, or you can do those things and be compassionate, right? Like there's ways to like, and so what is love, baby? Don't hurt me, you know? Yeah. Um, so. Don't hurt me. No, no more. more. Right. Correct. Um, yeah. So ultimately let's talk a little bit about love. Yeah. An intense feeling or deep affection, a great interest and pleasure in something. Mm-hmm. It encompasses a range of strong and positive emotional and mental states from the most sublime virtue or good habit, the deepest interpersonal affection to the simplest pleasure. Mm. I love a lobster roll. It's pretty daggum simple. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and, and, and so here's where we get to, right? So we think if you think, Oh, I love that person, depending on the context, that can mean so much. Yep. The love I feel for my family is likely different than the love I feel for my partner, which is yeah. likely different than the love I feel for my friends. But then on a very base level, is that firing the same synapses in our brain? Yeah. Give us that euphoric feeling. Um, and that is different than the love I feel for a food or a sports team or a video game or a movie. But how does that affect the way that we move forward? Yeah. I mean, if we go back to the Greek people, uh, and oh yeah, them of love, right? Yeah. That is kind of the f- first time we get this differentiation of the same word with like multiple different categories. Uh, and so we have eros, which is this romantic love. We have uh, 
agape, which is this self-sacrifice, self-sacrificial love, right? And those like, and there are more and there are other things like this is family love, this is this, but the, the those, those are the most common for sure talked about in discourse. And there's been a lot of problems with that over the years. Like people have like, written so many books just on this concept and it's kind of problematic uh and the one of the reasons it's problematic is because there's a lot of that rooted in religious context as well and so religious context will take those things and then say well this is the the best love like agape love this self-sacrificial love is the best kind of love the other ones are like meh right but this one's this one's better than the others And when we start to do that, when we start to categorize and say this type of love is better than this type of love, all of a sudden we we run into problems because the people who were making that decision were, you guessed it, old white White men, gender men. (laughs) And so they were making that decision a long time. And like in the past, you know, 50, 100 years, we've started to get a lot of conversation from feminist writers and womanist writers saying that actually when agape love is expected from everybody, that creates problems, right? This self-sacrificial love when expected from a minoritized population, expected from a, an oppressed population, it puts them in further harm rather than giving them a greater capacity to love generally. So it sounds really great when you have a lot of privilege and when you're white and when you can do all these things. <laughs> uh, and it's like, yeah, I should give of myself. But when that is the the noble thing to do for everyone, it creates a lot of problems. And so that's just one thing that's worth considering when we talk about love, much less all the other cool things. And I think one of the things we're even getting more nuanced into it, what feels like love to each individual is going to differ greatly. And so there are times where that self-sacrificial love, I'm doing this for you. Mm -hmm. I did. Well, I didn't ask you to, and that crosses my boundaries and I'm not here for it. Right. (laughs) So like, um, and then, oh, but I did, how dare I did this for you? And you're like, oh, but you did it transactionally, so it wasn't actually the, it wasn't actually self sacrificial. Like Sounds there's there's free. a lot of nuance that comes to it. And they, already in my head, I start thinking about like men who typically will expect favors from nicety. I was nice to you. I did this for you. I'm well, and so you owe me this. Well, now we're not talking self-sacrificial at all right like now we're talking transactional that's not the same but what we equate it to is no that's love right yeah i I spank my kids that's love Mm. because i'm teaching them the future like that's love um and you're like "Mm -hmm." because it might not feel like love well and this is where it starts to get interesting right like love to me i might experience it as love but the person I am in relationship with might not, right? And I think that's an important distinction because Mm. when I experience something as love and this is what loving someone is, and this is what I've been taught, this is what I've been conditioned to believe, then you're going to experience it as love. And that's, it creates a lot of problems. So like, I I think this kind of gets into really problematic areas around like when I grow up in an abusive household and I start to believe that 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 that's love. 
it, abuse is a form of love, mm-hmm. then I'm going to see that and expect that in my future relationships. And if it's not there, I'm going to feel like they don't love me because that's what I've been taught to believe is that's what love is. And that's, that is a very generalist way to say that. Like, of course, that's not going to be categorically true for everyone. However, that is a trajectory that is possible. And I think worthy of consideration, right? I think there's two, because again, there's, this has the ability to branch off into so many different you know, side tangents. And so two of the major themes that I'm hearing in this is one, what feels like love and how we give and receive love is going to be different to the individual. So relationships are super important and communication in those relationships are super important. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. And two, if your love is causing harm to others, then like it might not be as beneficial as you think it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so those are two like big things of like, yeah, it might be, when someone does this for me, I might feel it as love. But again, that's going to differ from person to person. Be in community, talk to your community, and you can help define what love looks like in that specific community. So in order to center us before we dive into conversation, I think it's worthy of bringing in two of our favorite authors, uh, one of which uh, is a staple. So Brene Brown. uh, Who? Yeah. um, Turns out she wrote a definition of love had had some serious gumption and decided to write a definition for love. Um, move cotton. What's super neat is again, what I love about grounded theory, which is the theory that Brene utilizes in her work is she gathers data from qualitative sources, uh, and has gathered over like 20,000 pieces of data over the course of years and has used that data to, create a definition from the data rather than uh, creating it beforehand and seeing if the data matches. So a lot of time there is, you go into it with a hypothesis saying, this is going to be true. I'm going to collect data and does it prove it? And you do your lit review beforehand and you find out what the definitions of love beforehand. But what Brene does is says, nope, we're going to flip that on its head. And in grounded theory, we get the information and use that to define it. And so her definition is a definition that is rooted in people's understanding of love, and it's rooted in thousands upon thousands of people's definitions of love, which I think is really neat. Um, And we've talked about this plenty of times um, in terms of her definition. So I just will kind of briefly run through some of the um, main points because it's pretty long. But the main point for me is love is not something we give or get. It's something that we nurture and grow. So into your response, it's not a transaction, right? It's not something we give or get, right? It's something we nurture or grow within us. And it is a connection that can only be cultivated between two people when it exists between each one of them. Here's the big thing that rubs people the wrong way with Brene Brown's definition, which is we can only love others as much as we love ourselves. And so per our conversation just a second ago, what Brene has done is said that wasn't love, right? According to the definition of all of these uh, pieces of data that was kind of cultivated and created it, like the instance where a parent uh, spanks a child, if, if love is not experienced on both sides that is not what love is, according to Brene Brown, right? Which is really interesting, right? Um, the other person I want to bring in 
is Barbara Fredrickson, who is a positive psychologist, wrote a book called Love 2.0. And again, this is an instance where someone attempts to define love. (laughs) Uh, And it's been fascinating to, to watch that happen. But Barbara Fredrickson kind of defines love as the supreme emotion uh, that makes us come most fully alive and feel most fully human. And the way exactly how I feel when eating a lobster roll. Right. And the way that she describes it is love is not one emotion, but rather it is the, you know, um, I'm going to, I can't think of this, the C word. It's the combination. Thank you. Of um, all of the positive emotions that one can experience at a high frequency. And so once we've had those emotions at a, a very high frequency, we start to experience it and we start to call that love. And that to me is, I'm more partial to this definition because like it's joy, real- happiness, yes. connection, all yes. these things that were belonging when you feel all of these things compassion like all of those things yeah that's love yeah and when you really do like that i really do like that yeah it's really inclusive and it really helps me understand why it's so hard to pinpoint what love is because it's it's everything that we want it to be right it's just experienced at a rate at which we start to be like oh there's so many emotions here this is what love feels like which is like, I mean, when you think about those things, right? I don't feel compassion when I eat uh, my favorite pizza, right? Yeah, like, I don't feel sure. but like I, there's joy. Yeah. There's nostalgia. There's connection yep. with a person that we're enjoying that meal with, right? Like all of those things. Yeah, I love pizza, right? You know what I mean? So like that, yep. that feels very on the nose while also being very encompassing. So yeah, I think we colloquially use the word love when we are experiencing multiple positive emotions that we can't parse them out and name each individual one. Instead, we label that feeling of multiple feelings love. Um, And I think that's really helpful in terms of processing what goes on. And I, I, but I, I think the other piece of it is really important to consider too, of it's not something we give or get, it's something we nurture and grow. And I, I, I think when we combine those definitions and put them in relationship with one another, it will help us parse out what's going on in the episode. So let's parse out the episode, but before we do that, you got 30 seconds on the clock, my friend. You know it. You know I do. So I, let me I pull up you. the timer. It's my favorite. I'm so excited. Yay. Are you ready? I'm always ready. Who's never Three, ready? Three, oh, two, be- one, go. All right, so Batar says, I love you, and Kuvira doesn't. And then now, like, nobody's volunteering to leave the city, but now it's mandatory with Julie's information. And then Mako and Prince Wu try to convince everybody to leave. Prince Wu does better because he appeals to the emotional side. And then Team Avatar, sting operation. Halfway there. Kuvira, living on a prayer. Kuvira aims to kill, and then Army arrives, and then the president surrenders, and then Batar Jr. is captured, and then believes in Kuvi, and then she tries to kill him anyway, and that's the end. Three, two, one. Well done. You glanced over some stuff towards the back end. Yeah, you know, but we always do. Fight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Big blasty thing. Kill people. So one of the thing, concepts that, that popped out to me immediately. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm ready. Does all of this stem from a lack of love that Kuvira feels for herself? 
Oh, wow. I did not go there. Huh. Um, that is, I don't know that we have enough information for that. Like, right. Give, give me your reasoning. Like what, what's, what's going on in your head? I, uh, perfectionism seems to be something uh, that is there. The need to be the most powerful, the need to be on top. Uh, this under this concept of like, maybe I don't feel good enough until this is done. Right. Republic city is owed to me and I'm not, you know, I, we have to do it at all costs. Um, that type of thinking, that type of processing, that type of stuff, um, typically I feel like comes is rooted in shame. Um, and a lot of that time shame comes from, this lack of compassion for ourselves, this may be lack of empathy for ourselves, um, and so that's that's why that's why I ask it initially. Yeah, I mean it's an interesting question because like what we know about Kuvira is that she doesn't really have family. Su Yin was her family, right? It seems as though she was adopted by Su Yin and uh, was raised as not necessarily her child, but certainly raised by Su Yin in a way in Zalfu. And Kuvira excelled pretty much in everything she did. She seemed very eager beaver uh, behavior while she was under Su Yin. And then when Su Yin said no to leadership of the Earth Kingdom, Kuvira got, like there was this, this moment where she was, disappointed in Su Yin and like this is my mentor this is the person who's raised me and they're not gonna rise to the occasion here and so Kuvira steps up so it's it's a really interesting it's it's not from a lack of confidence right it's not from a lack of I can do this it's very much a belief in I can do this I should do this if no one else will and I don't know. I, I I just that seems like a really interesting question because it it's very well could be a, a factor in in what's going on, but I I don't know that we have enough information. I think it's worthy to consider, but I I definitely wonder. I would I would want to sit with Kuvira and and have a conversation, <laughs> a little therapy session. Hey, yeah, because I, I mean the other thing you can kind of pinpoint this is no, she loves her her kingdom so much. Mm. Um that she wants it to thrive and wants it to be the best it can be. But again, when you're doing that, there's nothing wrong. And this is where it feels very real. There's nothing wrong with loving your community. There's nothing wrong with loving the, 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 the community you're a part of, uh, however big that community might be on a, on a town level or, or a neighborhood level, or even a national level. Yeah. The issue comes when you start believing that your love for your community is better Exactly. Then anyone else's love for their, their community and that your community yeah. is overall better than everyone else. Like that's where that starts to come. And so you can love the earth kingdom. And this is very real land being taken away from people. Very real. Yeah. Um, and so like understandable that like we want that land back. Murder <laughs> <laughs> might not be like is an outcome that causes harm to, to loads of people. Mm -hmm. uh, in the way that Kuvira is moving forward to this. Um, and it's also probably important. I don't, I don't, oh, Kuvira doesn't feel like an oppressed group, right? The earth kingdom doesn't feel like an oppressed group in this moment. The fire nation coming down and doing things to it. Absolutely. Like, and they're rebuilding, but in this moment, like 
Kuvira has the power. Um, yeah, and, you know, I, I don't think that was always true. And I, I think when Kuvira started, I, I bet it didn't start out with Kuvira thinking like, I'm going to like take over Republic City one day. I don't think that was what she was thinking four years ago when this all started. You know, like it, it just doesn't seem like that was the trajectory. I don't think anyone starts at inception thinking that that's where this is going to go. We might not have believed that this is where she was going to go at the beginning of this season. Yeah. Um, and so it's one of those things where I think one of the players in this game is how love of a leader plays a role. And so Kuvira gathered and garnered a lot of support over the these three years that she started, you know, bringing things back into place and making things better. And, and I say that in quotes you all can't see. Um, but like she started to gain supporters and these supporters started to create a bias within Kuvira because she's surrounded by those supporters all the time. They are serving her, right? They are, uh, her soldiers are agreeing to serve her because they believe in her cause. And when they continue to demonstrate that loyalty and love, and when Batar Jr. continues to regale Kuvira with like, you're the best thing in the world since sliced bread, you start to believe it. And when you start to believe that and you think that, oh, well, everybody else must be wrong because these are the people I care about and they think I'm hot stuff. And so there's this bias that comes into play uh, uh, that leads us to believe that our way is the only way. Um, and I think it's often misnomered and, and called love when perhaps it isn't, right? Yeah, especially if you're thinking about the definition of um, from Fredrickson, right? So, like, um, what? Because one of the things that popped into my head as you were speaking is the idea that just because you love someone doesn't mean you don't challenge them or tell them that you disagree with them or tell them that, like, and so that really is, um, and it's something that happens, right? Oh, I love them. So I'm not going to hold them accountable. And you're kind of like, well, and then we start to, now I'm already like, cause man, it's such rabbit. It's so easy to go down rabbit holes yep. in this conversation. Yeah. 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 Cause the concept of, I think of a crucial accountability conversation of holding someone accountable is, is very difficult. Oh, and very uncomfortable. Oh yeah. Me too. 100%. And also feels like love to me. Well, here's here's another thing that I think matters in that, right? I think that what that conversation does is recognize that there is something taking up the space that positive emotions could fill. And uh, that accountability conversation is saying, hey, this thing is in the way. We need to move it if we're going to experience what love again. Like. Yeah. And, you know, if we find out that that is a permanent staple, then accountability looks like, okay, then I can't be in, like, that's what boundaries looks like. If this is, if this right. has to stay, then we can't be in relationship because I can't experience this really important thing that I want to experience with you. Right. Um, and I think, so, you know, I think of accountability conversations as loving, but not necessarily as love itself. Does that make sense? Very much so. 
So I, I, I guess I'm being, it's a semantic difference, but yeah. I it matters. What is a moment of love that you want to talk about from this episode? Oh man. I mean, should we, should we go to the, like the main one? Can we talk about the main one? If it's, I mean, you're talking about the ending. Cause I was going to le- let that simmer a little bit, but yeah, we can jump there. Well, let's just let it simmer then. Oh yeah. Let's we'll let it simmer there. a little bit. That's yeah, the we'll juicy thing. We'll wait a little bit for that conversation. Yeah. All right. Can we talk about Wu and Mako then? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk so, about Wu and Mako. There's this moment where I see, I love Mako in this moment. And it's not because it, what he does works, but because it's very much what I would do. I'm saying things logically. I'm giving very yeah. clear instructions. This is exactly. very specific to each individual. What do you mean? I, yeah, exactly. Like, I get it. That is, I hear you, bud. Um, and then Wu says nonsense, right? But what he's doing is he's appealing to people's emotions rather than appealing to this is what you do right now. And when you reveal a mass thing that's going to change everyone's life, right? Like evacuating a city that is like, maybe not as big as New York, but huge, like the New York of this world. And that's a lot. That's a lot. There's a lot of people here. There's a lot going on. And the, when you say you have to evacuate and then you just start giving directions, you fail to recognize that people are in shock. People are terrified of what might happen to their home, to their pets, to how do I get there? Get, like they, they started freaking out, right? And rather than giving them directions in that moment, <laughs> Wu's like, hold on, let me tell you about how I feel in this moment. And I think that's a really loving act is to tend to people's emotions. And um, I think some people were like, why did Mako stop? I was writing that down. I need every single bit of information that he was giving me. And those people probably wanted that specific direction. Those were the people that called. Those are like, right? I, like those are the people calling in and um, asking more questions. Is this real? the concept meeting people where they are is a loving act i think i agree that's and so yeah sometimes how many times have you been in a conversation with someone where they've been talking and we say is this are we problem solving or are we feeling like right now well and let's pause there because that that has become kind of a joke in in certain cultures nowadays a hundred percent Right. It's been like, oh, is this the curve? Is this, a, you know, it, like people, people are asking the question in kind of a jokey way. But it's also that also means that it's become so common that it's become a meme. Right. In a sense, which means people know about it now and some people are making fun of it. But also that's only because it's a really good tool to use. And it all depends on the how genuine you are when you say it. People know yes. when you're being genuine, right? If you are yeah. saying with a little bit of sarcasm, like, are we feeling or are we actually focused on what we need to do, right? Like people yeah. know the difference. And so I've found like that is for me a very real question of like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm here for you. Um, I want to know how to show up for you do you want my advice or do you just want me to listen? Um, and I just want you to listen. Great. Let's do it. Right. That is a, I think that is a loving act. Yes. Um, bombarding with advice that people aren't asking for in the moment and not meeting them where they are does not feel loving yeah. to both to both parties involved. If we're going off of your initial uh, Brene Brown definition, right? Like that doesn't feel loving to both people. Um, 
And so that's what Prince Wu is doing here and doing it well. Yeah. Like yeah. doing it really well. Prince Wu is growing. But also I think what's important here, and I think my point is that meeting people where they are is important. And I think the show is making a statement saying that what Prince Wu said is better than what Mako said. And I would like to argue that that's not necessarily true. It is just different. And I, I think different people receive love in different ways and feel love in different ways. And I think that it matters that we attend to the emotions because that's what's often overlooked. And I think why the show is making that argument. And I think that for some people, Mako's work would have been way more appreciated. And so I, I totally see both sides. And I just, I, I think I wanted to lift up that both of them can feel like love to different people. And I, I, I especially want to consider when we bring in things like neurodivergence and ability and disability into play, a lot of times specificity is crucial to communication. And people are like, why are you talking about fear right now? I need to know what to do. Right. And so I, I think that it's important to recognize that both of those things are and can be an act of love. What it requires is context, right? And so loving people requires context. <laughs> well, and again, it, we, I can't highlight enough. You got you to gotta understand who you're communicating with and in community with, right? You can't, yes. hey, I need you to bake a cake for this party that we're throwing tonight. Some people are like, cool, done. Don't tell me anymore. Do I have free reign over what that cake is and how to bake it? Because like, I'm good. And some people need the step-by-step -step instructions of if you want this done and want it done a specific way, like I'm going to stress if you don't give me that. Yeah. And so like, and so you just got to know who the people you are that, you know, yeah. your audience is. This is really interesting because like, this brings up Julie and Varick, right? hundred percent. Like do the thing is no, no specificity. Right. Well, and we're going to get like to the fact that she says no in a second, but like do the phrase do the thing has zero specificity, but what it requires is this internal like understanding of what, of the, what the next step is, right? Yeah. This mind reading almost of what the next step is, but for other people and for other relationships, you tell me to do the thing. I want to be like, what thing? Like, uh, tell me exactly what you mean. Give me the details. I want to be successful. And if you don't give me those details, I'm going to fail. And because so the way that I show love is by doing this the way that you want it. Right. Exactly. Like, like, and so, yeah. Um, and, and now we're at a point where Julie says like, no, this is not, this does not feel like love. Exactly. We do not feel like equals. And I want to feel like equals. Yeah. Well, and I love that for her. Right. And it, I think what we see here is Julie standing up to Varick is I, a very important moment in this relationship because previously I've wondered how and why she would stick with him for so long, having not broken yet. <laughs> and this to me is like, finally, this is where she is. And I want to be very careful around putting judgment on having not done it sooner because you got to feel safe to do that. I, one safety two like, I'm not Julie. And I, I like, I also don't want to kink shame. Maybe Julie liked it. Right. Like for a little while. And I'm not saying like, it's, it's evident she doesn't anymore. Right. But I, I think that there, maybe that was something that she enjoyed. 
right? Maybe that was something that Barrick enjoyed, right? And and I and I think that that like we often will experience other people's relationships in the open and judge them. And I'm not saying we shouldn't ever judge. I'm saying that we need to be careful when we do, because some people's relationships aren't for us to judge, right? It's like, are you, are you enjoying yourself? Are you okay? Are you everyone happy? All right. Happy. Then, then you do you (laughs) like, I like what, like, so I don't know. I don't like truly, I don't think that was the case. I think that there was something else going on there potentially, but I do it does make me nervous to make that judgment too soon. That said, she says no this time. And Varric is seeming, Varric seems surprised. <laughs> yeah. I One of the things I really enjoy about this interaction is that Julie set a boundary while also admitting a fault in a way that was not diminishing of in either one of those two things mm. that she was providing we call it like this we call it the sandwich a lot of times right when we're giving feedback to people hey your shoes are awesome uh don't ever do this thing again and i really like that meal that you cooked all right cool high five great like okay i talked about them about the thing um and and in the same way where people will like hey i'm sorry i did this wrong but you but you do this like you but you do that like yeah she admits hey here's what i did and here's why i did it and i know that may have caused harm and so i'm sorry and we'll stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we're going to be viewed as equals moving forward. Yep. And I was like, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> like, really nailed it. What yeah. a wonderful way to like to lift up that you maybe caused harm and not be patronizing about it. And also set clear boundaries. And like, I was just like, oh, queen. What a, what a moment. Let's let's make her. Ruler. That felt like love. That felt like love. <laughs> Um, yeah. And I think like, man, boundary setting is a perfect example of what Julie does here is say, I'm going to set this because I love myself, right? Like I'm going to do this yeah. because I need this for my capacity to love myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the way that I expect people to show up and care about me. Um, and that's fine if you don't, but that means we're not in relationship with me before. I, mean, I know we kind of had a similar conversation earlier this season. But boundary setting is a hundred percent love. That is an act. That is an act of love. Yeah. And so. Well, and and again, it is a, for for semantic purposes. I think that it can be a loving act, but setting boundaries is uncomfortable, and it correct and it, it hurts sometimes. Sometimes it is actively creating harm but it's a short-term harm for a long-term really protected sense of what could be love and I, I think that that matters right because if we say like oh this is what love feels like and we say that and it's and it feels like it's the worst thing ever when you set that boundary I think what you're doing is you're saying hey I'm gonna set this boundary because what this is protecting is now going to make room and make space for love and I think, right? Am I, like, am I reading that wrong, or is that no, no? I, I agree. Like, when we set boundaries, we are opening the space for love to be there. Yeah. So the question yeah. comes in: How is that different than Kuvira rummaging through a city, causing harm, and saying, "But I'm creating the space for love in the future." 
<laughs> yeah, no, that's a great question. <laughs> the difference <laughs> is when I make boundaries within my own personal boundaries and with myself, it is I'm not forcing other people to do what I tell them, <laughs> but, or I'm not killing people and I'm not, I'm, I'm in relate. This is a boundary that is in relation to myself. It is not an ultimatum, right? It is saying, it's not saying if you don't, if you do this, then you, it's saying, if you do this, then I, uh, that's if what you do this. Happening. I am leaving. If, yeah, you, if you, you do this, I am leaving. Not right. if you do this, then you are going to do X, Y, and like an ultimatum in that way is forcing other people to adhere to your will, right? And a boundary in its healthiest form, I think, is when it is setting a boundary for yourself. This is what it dictates you will do when something happens. But sometimes that is, hey, if you do this, you will no longer be able to be invited over to my house or you will never like. But again, it's, it is, this is your home. This is what you have control like, of. I'm setting that boundary over the things I have control of. And that means that you're not coming into it. It doesn't well, mean that I'm going and burning your house down. Yeah. It means you're not coming into mine. I, well, I think a, a different one to think about is like when we go into Trump politics and say like, we're going to close our borders because this is like, you know, like one could make the argument that we're going to close borders because that's going to create more love on the inside, but more love for who, Right. And so when you're making a, a blanket statement for hundreds of millions of people, <laughs> that changes the game, especially, especially when the majority of the population disagrees with you, right? And what we're learning with Kuvira is that she is making decisions that clearly not everybody agrees with, but in her mind, the ends justify the means, and what we're learning is that the means aren't always justified by the ends, right? Especially when your end doesn't match mine. And so again, I, I think it becomes a conversation of the loving thing to do is to consider other people. <laughs> it's, it's, it's to be considerate of other people. And that doesn't mean that you're going to give in and do everything that the other person does. It just means that it, this is a communal decision if it involves community versus a individual decision, if it just involves you, I think this, I, I don't know if that fully answers your question because your question was complicated. Well, I, I think it's, I think it's icky, right? Like it's, it's not an easy thing, but I, what I'm hearing a lot of is when you are causing harm and choosing to cause harm to others, that's not setting a boundary, right? Like you're not setting a boundary for yourself. You are enacting on others and that's not the same thing. Yeah, exactly. So me choosing to kill Batar Jr. to make space for love. You're going there. Yeah, <laughs> it's about time. We're 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 running out of time, so we're going there. Yeah. Um, man. So, so well, look, I think there's two points that I think are really important in in terms of context. If we go to the Lift very beginning of the episode, where Batar like sets the stage for the episode, right? Like, I love you. Ours, I love you, and Kuvira is like. Oh, that's sweet. Thanks, bud. Go ahead, Pat. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. We'll totally totally get married, but I'm not going to tell you I love you. Uh, And then, and then she does, right? So Batar and her on the radio. I love you. And points the location, ends the call by saying, I love you. And then shoots to kill him. 
it's like I'm gonna argue that they both did not feel love in that situation. So here's the deal. I, I don't know that I agree. I I, I think that you think he felt love when she was firing a ray gun at him. Oh, post ray gun. I thought you meant like pre. Okay. Yeah, probably feel betrayed. <laughs> um, but you know, here's the sticky question for me is does Kuvira love Batar? And I will argue that I think she does. I think that, again, if we go to this, this Fredrickson definition, I think that he likely gives her multiple positive emotions. I think that they probably experience positive emotions together. I think that Kuvira is that I think the difference is that the ends are a greater purpose and of greater worth than her love. And so this is where it starts to get interesting based off of your fir- first question. Does Kuvira love herself? The question is, does, is, does she love love? Does, is love something that she's going for? And I don't think the answer is yes. I think she's going for this going back to like perfection and idealist and the complete power. And I think that that is worth more to her than any love she has experienced in the past. And I think part of that might be to the fact that she didn't have parents that, that loved her. She didn't have a loving relationship, right? Su Yin, who didn't seek to do what is right, didn't do what Kuvira thought was best for the country. And so like felt betrayed there. So I think history has been burned by love in the past and is probably unwilling to let that be the sole factor in her decision. And so my argument is that she does love him. It's just not the kind of love that is worth something to her. And I think that might make people uncomfortable as a conclusion. Yeah, I think if we're going by what feels like, if love feels different to every person, it does not feel like love to me. So does she feel like it's love? Sure. Do I feel like it's love? No. No, <laughs> no I do not. But I think it's um, important if we consider that she might think like it does. A hundred percent. Well, and again, I don't, you know, I'm, I am against spanking children. As someone who has worked with kids for 15 years, guess what? I've never once had to spank a child. Like, so like, but I've learned those, I've learned tools uh, to not have to resort to that. And people who are saying like, well, you don't have kids yet. And you're like, yeah, well, true. And um, I think people think that that is love to them. Yeah. That is love. Whether that is love to their child well, is a different story. And but a lot of parents will sit there and argue, you don't know it yet, but this is love. Yeah. Well, and, and I think what what spanking is in and of itself and what, you know, discipline if we if we expand that discipline is is as a form of communication the only the reason people spank the reason people discipline is to attempt to communicate something and this is usually in response to a failed communication attempt and so i say uh don't do that child does that 
okay, they didn't hear me the first time. I'm going to resort to this other tool that I have, which is spanking, right? Or if it's not spanking, it's another form of discipline, which I would argue most, not most, many forms of discipline are problematic. Um, then we're going to try and communicate it that way because that's the only tool I have next, right? And this tool usually works because it stops the behavior in the right now. Um, and so we believe and we are conditioned to believe that it works as a behavior. And, and you know, I, I think that part of what love requires of us is that we expand our toolbox. <laughs> that, right? hundred percent, right? When we talk about meeting people where they are, like we did earlier this episode, part of that is having the tools to meet people where they are and learning those tools to meet people where they are. Yeah. That's why we do the show is to help gain more tools, tools. Yeah. <laughs> that we can use to show love to others. Yes. Um, and so that by investing in those things and taking time to learn new tools is an act of love. It is something that is opening up space for more love in the future. Well, and this reminds me of Ryko, right? Ryko, whose toolbox is very small as a leader, right? Yep. He's like, hit people hard. <laughs> Itty bitty toolbox. Right? That's the only thing that he knows how to do, right? And when it comes to this, uh, like Tenzin is like, I don't like you all sacrificing yourselves. There might be a better way. Rocco's like, nah, you go, you go. That's a great idea. You go sacrifice yourself. Um, and, you know, I think that's Rico's toolbox. Rico sees, you know, self-sacrificial love as a form of an expectation of people because that's the right thing to do. I think Rico sees, you know, battle and weaponry as this, we have to fight back, fight fire with fire because that's the tool that he has. And so again, part of our expectation of leadership is that they have a very expansive toolbox. And the problem is when we have a limited toolbox and we see someone with the same toolbox, we are like, oh, well, they're gonna be fine. They have the same toolbox I have, right? They are, again, it's this bias that we have because what we see is we're more likely to love what we know versus what we don't know. And that's terrifying. 100%. And it's just, it's really scary. Like it, it just, it's, oh, oh gosh. And I don't, so one of the things we don't need to talk about too much, because I feel like we've talked a lot about trauma and, and pain and, and traumatic stress. Yeah. But, but Perfect. just so just to think about how tough love is going to feel to Batar Jr. You know, after an event like this, mm. like that, that is going to be tough for him to start creating those same strong relational feelings. So I think with anyone in the future, we just, we don't know his resilience. We don't know how, how good yeah. he is at those things, but I can imagine that if that was me, that would be tough. Well, and it's, I, I think Batar Jr. is a really good place to go here because I, what we skipped over was his conversation with Su Yin and the mother son dynamic is really interesting here because I really appreciated Su Yin's apology of I I I don't know what I did to to burn you, and I want to make it better. Come home now. 
I don't think that's perfect. I think there's a lot missing from that. And I never thought that was going to work because it wouldn't work when the damage has been done. But I appreciate right. the attempt, right? And I, I like I, I appreciate the spirit of that apology, I should say. And the the thing is, I, I think in order for love to exist, it oh, this goes back to another portion of Brene Brown's definition that we didn't talk about, which I of uh, course it does. Right. Well, it, it goes that, you know, when um, things go wrong, that's that's fine. Like shame, blame, disrespect, betrayal and withholding of affection damage the roots from which love grows. Love can only survive these injuries if they are acknowledged, healed and rare. And what we probably learn from Batar and Suyin's relationship is that some of those things probably happened. They were probably unacknowledged. And they probably weren't rare. And that led to this feeling where he had to leave with Kuvira. And I think that's the other thing that we didn't really talk about, which we don't really have time to dive into generally, but we've talked about on previous episodes. Um, But when we create harm, if there is no repair and apology and, and then then we're done. Like the, the, the love that the container that is holding the love has shattered. Breaks, yeah. Then and it breaks without repair. Then it's going to feel like it's constantly leaking and it's going to be a drain on us or it's going to shatter and it's not going to be something that can hold it at all. I mean, you think about any, think about a, a home or a room and you start to get a small leak in the roof. If you yep. don't mend it, it is going it to get worse, worse and worse, worse and worse. And then you're going to get mold and then you're going like, you have to you have to mend it. Yeah. Um, and so, but man, I think th- this is a moment, one of the pinnacle moments of just the entire series mm-hmm. is this mo- like I think about this as like every time we get to this portion of the series when I watch it, I'm like, oh, this is coming. Yeah. Um, that is brutal. Well, and you know, Kuvira, you know has been going downhill for a few episodes <laughs> uh you know and sure. like yeah. it's, it's one of those things where like big episode one we're like mm, maybe kuvira and then you know slowly we're like uh-oh uh-oh and now she's just outright killing people left and right just uh, just non-discriminately Murder. just just <laughs> absolute like it does oh there's a flying bison dead yeah <laughs> like yeah. like kill it kill it kill the avatar kill like and so this is like something has there's something that changed, I think. And within me, something is not the same. Whatever. I'm through with playing by the rules of someone else's game. Oh my god, it fits so well. <laughs> spirit ray gun. <laughs> yeah, spirit ray gun. There it is. But yeah, you know, okay. So we've we've talked about a lot. I, I like. Can we? What What are some recaps? What are some things that were? What are the big, the big points we've made? So Man, far? love is messy. Yeah, that's what I like. <laughs> Probably one of the first ones. Love is messy. Um, it has to feel like love to both people. We lifted that up at the beginning, yeah. and I think that that, st- that to be continues. A point, it needs to be experienced by both parties. That, when we, that sometimes difficult conversations and things have to happen to open up space for loves, and, and, and that can be a... Yeah. Um, that can be an... an a, a loving yeah. action. Yeah. So some, and, and to be clear, sometimes loving actions are 
uncomfortable and don't feel like love hard don't feel like love when in actuality they're making they're creating much greater capacity for it but even when they're uncomfortable compassion feels like love yeah and uncomfortable conversations can be had compassionately and Mm -hmm. empathy empathy feels like love yeah and those tough conversations can feel empathetic and so like even when things are happening that don't feel easy they can still be felt compassionately and empathetically and kind. And those things do feel like love, but it's counterintuitive. And that I think is a major point for people of like, that's not, I, I, I want to love this person. And it's like, yes, by doing this, you are (laughs) right. And I, I think that that, that counterintuitive is just enough to make people who have a small toolbox, not want to experiment with something that feels hard. So yeah, that's, it's scary. Um, and I think also one of the things we're walking away with is that just because it doesn't look like love to us doesn't mean that it's not, right? I, I think that that's something I'm kind of taking with me based off of, you know, Varric and Julie, based off even Kuvira, based off, like, so I, so I think it can be love. And it just doesn't carry the same weight for other people that it does for me, or it looks different. And that's okay, as long as it's not affecting and forcing other people to abide by the same rule, right? Yeah. And then I think one of the other things for me is, as we we view love as something you nurture and grow, Mm -hmm. that is something that takes practice. That's a skill set. Yeah. Prince Wu is practicing the skill set and getting better at it. He is not just naturally good at these things. These are things that he was bad at at the beginning of the season. (laughs) Um, And so these are, I I think that's an important thing. You know, I recently had someone say to me in conversation, you can't teach empathy. Like some people just have it or they don't. And I wholeheartedly disagree. Like that is a skill set that you absolutely can nurture and grow. Absolutely. Um, I agree. And so, you know, that was something that for me, I was like, no, I refuse to believe that. Um, and I think that, but there are so many, there's so many things where we feel like that is something that we can't do. You yeah. are you are like, oh, you're a naturally loving person. When you speak with yeah. such kindness to people, yeah, you can do that too, right? Like, and so. I, I'm just not, I don't, I don't work that way. So acts of love certainly can be learned and practiced and, and be messy and they don't, you mess them up yep. and you, you fail at them and then you learn and you get better. And so yes. um, those are things that I think that's an important takeaway as well. Agreed. Agreed. Oh, what a cool conversation we just had. Wow. I'm a fan. This is great. All right. Well, we are going to take a quick break. Yeah. And then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about what pushes and pulls us away from this episode. We're going to talk yeah. about our devotion to the element of urgent. Yeah. And we're going to show some gratitude for some characters. We will be right back. Yeah.
right, we are coming back from our little break. We are talking tween law, what pushes and pulls us in and away from this episode. Ben, what do you love? What didn't you love? Let's talk yes. about it. Yes. Uh, the whole episode uh, falls in I, both categories. <laughs> uh, I hate it and I love it. <laughs> Gosh. Oh, this is just a... It's a weird episode, too, because it's, like, full of, like, there are so many transitions and shifts and like okay it's two weeks away okay it's one week away it's like oh god they're here it's like it's just a it's a there's a cutting between a lot of different things happening well yeah this episode happens over the course of a week right and so it's uh, a lot going on and i you know okay i i think one of the things i appreciate about this is i really appreciate the team avatar showing up together saying, Hey, I think we need to do something before it hits the city. And, and, and not because I want them to go like these teenagers to sacrifice themselves because, but because rather, I think that often the systemic response is not, will not suffice as a response. It requires action from individuals also um, outside of the system. And I think that the four of them going to uh, try and do something about it outside of the system response is necessary and they are not successful, but I think that it's that intention that really matters in this case, because it also leads to them gaining a lot more information about the fact that they're showing up a week early. And I, I just, I often think the system is not good enough. And we need to figure out how to do better than the system at its default. It's nice to see the team together again. Yeah. Yeah. It's good that everyone's back. Core has been away for so long and they've kind of been here and there for the last few seasons. Like even like they come together at the end of um, the red Lotus season. But again, it's just nice. It's when team avatar is together, there's, there's something communal about that. That feels feels good. Yeah. Um, I agree. It's good to see characters start thriving, right? Like I like seeing Prince Wu do better. I like seeing yeah. Eric get better. Um, I like seeing Mako step into like I like seeing Julie stand Ju- Julie. Like so that's that's a really it's 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 fun to watch people be good at stuff. Yeah. Um, and it is um that's something good to see. Uh, something pushes me away just the sheer brutality and the quickness uh and non-discriminatory nature of kuvira at this point who is willing to literally just kill slaughter just right slaughter de- like dehumanizing everybody in sight right just it's a massacre in a way right it's in it could have been much worse like she could have targeted the army in front of her but instead she targeted these ships which had people on them and we see people escaping from the ships, but we we there there can't have been no casualties, right? Right. Um, but it's, and, it's it's almost without thought. It's almost just like, oh, you're making me mad. Done. Like it was, yeah. It was in. Oh well, let, like I'm not here to argue, right? I'm here to show you. And then boom, like it was a rhetorical move, not a like this response, was, not a like measured response. It was a rhetorical move of I need to convince you, so I'm going to murder these people. <laughs> and I think that that is like, Kuvir has lost 
any sort of capacity to be in charge at that point. <laughs> like it, and it, as soon as she started doing that, like it, it like it, it, that was the end, right? It, it happened before that, but like, it, this is another line that she was yeah, hundred percent lines. And this was a big one. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I mean, I totally agree. I think that, that like, especially for an avatar show, this is big, right? It just is way worse than Amon ever was, right? Yeah. Amon was just taking people's bending. <laughs> you know, like Kuvira Which is, is like that's a lot. Like you're taking someone's identity and it's huge. They're still living. Yeah, they are alive, right? Versus this, which is like wolf. Just so dead. yeah, Kuvira much worse in my humble opinion. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you have anything else that pushes you away or should we jump to devotion? I mean, I'm, I, I mean, that was a pretty big one. Yep. That's <laughs> yep. Giant mech suit with a, with a spirit ray gun. Certainly. Yeah. Um, devotion element of earth. Earth. Indeed. What you got? What do you want? What is your intention this week? Yeah. So I, I think that when I think about earth and when I think about love, I, I I can't help but go back to the Brene Brown definition of, you know, love is something you nurture and grow. And that to me feels very much like a plant. It feels like something that is, uh, there are nutrients in the earth that allow for something to grow, or that space is something where pe- things don't grow well. It is not fertile ground. And so the question is, how do we create fertile ground for which love to grow? And I think, how do we create fertile ground is a question of like, okay, sounds like we need some boundaries, right? Uh, Otherwise, the bunnies are going to eat all the cool things and I'm not going to be able to enjoy it, right? And so we need a little bit of like some boundaries. And this is what's allowed in. This is what's not allowed in. And this this metaphor is, is terrifying for me because I... There is so much work that goes into this. It's not easy, right? And when something goes wrong, it's not always evident why, right? If all of a sudden the the plant starts dying, it could be, okay, is this getting too much water? Is it getting too much this? Is it getting not enough this? Is it getting, like, there's so many possibilities. But the benefit that we have that plants don't is that we can communicate in a way that is potentially easier than the way plants communicate. and. I'm really leaning into this idea of communication being something that's really important here. And I'm thinking about the relationships in my life and the the places I have sticking points. And almost always it's from a lack of communication. It's because I've been holding on to something and I haven't been able to figure out how to say it the right way because I want to say it perfectly. And I want to make sure that I'm right before I bring something up. And that prevents me from saying something. It makes it so that I am holding on to this negative feeling and not making room for the positive feeling, right? And so in the same way that I would garden, I want to tend to those things and just like, okay, I need to have the accountability conversations. I need to have the conversations that are making me uncomfortable, even if I don't think I'm going to do it perfectly. I just need to have them. and trust in the people that I'm in relationship with that they will have grace for me when I, when I screw up. And I think that's where I'm landing for my metaphor today. 
I'm taking the same metaphor, but going a little bit different route. It's the, for me, gardening does not come naturally. That is not an easy thing for me to do. Um, taking care of a lawn, edging for the first time, you like mowing and mowing correctly so that grass grows the way that it's supposed to water the right amount of watering and what is overwatering and like all of these things take time and practice and skills. And so for me to be good at creating that garden requires me to practice those things and to learn new ways to do it and to research. And um, I think that's for me, it's what am I practicing? What skill set am I practicing? And one that comes to mind is the awareness of do the things that I do that I think are loving feel like love to the people I'm doing them with and, and, and get garnering awareness of that. Um, and so checking in on those relationships and, and when I have those moments of like, this feels like love to me, being in community and communication with others to say, Hey, does that feel like love to you? Um, and so that's my plan. I love it. That brings us to our, our final gratitude final thing which is gratitude we like gratitude gratitude we like gratitude yeah sunshine who are you grateful for hmm julie i'm gonna say julie yeah she's mine for julie let's be real she's great uh and again i am setting boundaries is something that i that's a skill that i continue to need to practice and i the way that she is able to say we're going to be treated like equals and that's how we're going to move forward is like, I was like, oh man, that was really, that was good. I need to do that more. And so, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm very grateful for Julie. Well, it's hard. Cause it's like, we see that and it's like, we need to do that more, but like, she was angry. She was, she was mad. mad. She was like, this no. is a release, right? This was like a, a, almost like a breaking point that, julie arrived at and what that's also giving me permission to do is to break sometimes which i don't do very often right no, you're, you're supposed to bend yes thank you yeah, yeah. To, to bend without breaking so correct to, uh yeah um so yeah i, I think that's what i want to do is i want to get to the point where i am pushed so far that that's like that's the boundary right and i want to i think what that requires is that i have better boundary more and not necessarily better but more defined right more defined boundaries so yeah i'm i'm grateful for julie too but uh i will be grateful for pema because you know pema is just really lovely and this she agrees to stay despite the evacuation order and tenzin like immediately puts her and the kids to work and you know, again, I don't want to judge that because that might be the way, like relying on others is a form of love. And I think that that matters. And I think that they want to be relied on. And for Pema, I think that I, I guess I'm hopeful that Pema doesn't feel like she has to do this in order to feel love in that family. And so I'm, I'm really grateful for Pema and also hopeful that you know, she feels like she deserves love and is lovable without that need to stay, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, cool episode. It was two left. I know. Only two left. We're almost done. We are almost done. Oh, man.
But hey, that's two more episodes to spend with all of our listeners as we continue to talk through this. Um, We like that. That's fun. We are excited to to wrap up this series. And so more Legend of Core to come. Check out all of our uh, social medias, BNB underscore pod. That's TikTok, Instagram, to Facebook, Patreon that allows you to get bonus content and live episodes. Um, Twitter, all of the things. Check us out there. Um, two more episodes to go. Woohoo! I'm Sunshine Mayfield. I'm Ben Pruitt. And this has been Bending Not Breaking. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.